So, uh, like, I'm on Crunchyroll, because I have a Crunchyroll thing, and I noticed that it had Ultraman Geed on there, which is just another Ultraman show. And is it, it just, an anime? Uh, no, it's they have some live-action toku, actually. Like, we, we watched yeah. Nexus on there, Sam. I mean, I did, but you didn't, because uh, you were... You refuse to learn my login, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, and like I, I, I stand by that statement. Yeah, like and one of the I, I follow some Toku things on Twitter, so I decided to just and one of them like had some good things to say about Geed, so I decided to watch it. And it first of all, it's it's super like for baby kids. Like and I feel like that's a lot of Ultraman, honestly. Like Ultraman skews even way younger than what we usually look at. Uh and in retrospect that makes a lot of Nexus make more sense because they really weren't prepared to do a dark uh dark writing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. also, like, I know some similarities because, uh, so there's the main character and he's just, like, a young boy guy who's nice and wants to help people and already, like, way better than, uh, than Komon. But anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a girl in this show and she shows up and she's, like, very driven and wants to, like, fight the monsters. She has, like, a dark past with them. She shows up. She has, like, her main thing is that she knows martial arts and she has, like, a Chinese sword. And, like, she, she's always practicing with it. And uh, so, yeah, she wants to find the... Basically, at one point, she saw, like, a monster turned... Like, was killing some people and then turned back into a human. And only she saw it. She was like, there's a human out there that I'm going to hunt down and kill. And uh, so she's useless when all the other monsters show up. But at one point, they realize, oh, this one guy, uh, an author who got famous because he stole the plots of Ultraman shows. And that became, like, the best books ever. Sure show. Anyways... Uh, there's this thing where he, he turns human and she finds him, like, she starts fighting him. He's like, yeah, whatever, you're just a human. But she starts winning and, like, doing really well. And it's about to kill him. And then just, there's just, like, an effect of light on the show. And then the the scene just kind of awkwardly pauses and then the guy just leaves. (laughs) And, like, the main character shows up and, like, politely asks, like, hey, why did you finish him? And she basically turns to the camera and chokes and like, I don't know, girls aren't allowed to do stuff in this series. So, uh... Jesus. Jesus, Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Brokuzatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokuzatsu Shows and Related Media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I I apologize if I seem a little emotional, but I Sam has experienced such growth over the year we've doing this, uh the year we've been doing this, because, you know, he made a joke about what the title of this episode probably already is, like uh <laughs> uh Damaris Unchained. And uh my god, he almost spelled the character's name right. And I was just I was just <laughs> You've basically learned the name of one of the main characters of the show right before uh, the show's about to end, and good good job, Sam. Uh, full, Harry, Harry, full disclosure, I was typing that message to you, and I was waiting for someone on the show to say his name. Hmm. Like, so, so the subtitle flashed up, and I was like, there it is! I have a five-second window of memory, I must type it in now. Praise rescinded. Pirates of Tango Kaiger, episode 41, what you don't want to lose. Uh, so should we, 
uh, Harry, I don't know we don't do this very often, but should we do a recap of, like, you know, where the plot is? Because if we don't do that, uh, we're just kind of spitting nonsense on this. Um, sure, sure. So, Pirates and Taiko Kaiger, like, a, a recap as to where. Like, these are the pirates you've been hearing about. They're refugees from different sections of space. All, pretty much all have had their lives ruined by the Zagak Empire. And uh, in the immediate past, uh, the prince of the universe was murdered by these pirates on Earth. Yeah, so, uh, episode, you know, 38, Walls Gill, the idiot prince of the Zagak Empire, was murdered. And... The subordinates, since, like, the past... There's been a couple episodes with just the Gokaijers, and they've just been sitting around waiting, and as this episode opens, we're on a beautiful shot of Damaris. He's looking out the main viewport, and the Earth is, like, reflected over him, and he's just standing there, and Insard is pacing behind him, and, like, asking any word from the Emperor? What do you think's gonna happen? And then they show up! Uh, a bunch of ships warp in, and then just start blowing away all of the other Zagak ships in the region. Like, all, everything other than the gigant horse that they're on is destroyed. Now there's a larger fleet full of bigger specular ships, and they're, be- <laughs> and they're being boarded as the credits roll. Uh, as the credits come back, the ships, they're being boarded, and we see some of those elite lieutenants, we see a lot of uh, Gormen, and uh, then we see several, uh, several of the action commanders, and someone who is the Emperor. Of the yep. universe. Acto skill. Uh, he's. Do you want to describe him, Sam? To be perfectly honest, he's not the scariest monster design that the show has ever had. He's just kind of like a pseudo Egyptian, kind of like a black animal mask type of guy. Uh, he's got like lots of armor bits, big glowing eyes, and uh, he just walks forward, sits down on the throne, and says, you know, Dirando Zatsarig, detain Dabris. Damaris arrested immediately uh, for his failure and his uh, his crime of allowing a prince to die. Yep. He starts begging, like saying, please, you know, wait, let, let me explain. But even as he's restrained, the, one of the guys, like the the Dirando, he's just slashing him and attacking him while he's restrained. Saying like, nope, you are a big dummy. Your only job was to protect uh, Walls Gill. And the other one turns to him and says, like, was this a plot? You know, is this some kind of trick you were running at the Empire? And Insarn tries to say, hey, he tried to warn him, but the guy turns and blasts her with an energy thing from his chest. Yeah, I thought she was dead for a second, because, like, you know, one shot and she goes down. It We find out later that, you know, he was shooting to wound and to embarrass. The Emperor and the Emperor's elite bodyguard are taking no prisoners. Well, I guess they are specifically taking one prisoner at the moment. <laughs> yeah, One very the- specific prisoner. Yeah, they're gonna let him stew, and he'll he'll suffer later. But the Emperor says, hey, we will memorialize my beloved son. Bring me the heads of the pirates. Yeah, so that's how the episode begins. Yep, Zatzerig promises that he's gonna present them on the subjugated earth near your son's grave. And then we cut to the rangers, or half the rangers, and they're going grocery shopping. Yep. Uh, we but- see, was it, uh, is it I'm, uh, Doc, and Guy? Uh, it was... I, uh, Joe and Guy. Okay. Uh, like, there was a bit at the very beginning of the episode where they were just messing around and stuff, like, the Marvels got hit in the head with the ball, so they went out for groceries. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're, they're just talking about how Earth is so great, you know, it's a good planet to- It's been to real li- quiet lately! Have been so few Z- uh, Zengiak attacks. It's a good planet to live on, <laughs> it's a good planet to not be on fire, 
Uh, and I'm just quite says it's it's good to have a homeworld that you could love. And then everything blows up. And Zatzerig, the he's he's a action commander guy. He's yellow. He's got kind of like a big, almost like uh, those plague doctor noses. Mm-hmm. And he says like, oh, just you three. And he starts giving a speech about how he's about to destroy these dudes. But when I'm sees him. Yeah, I'm has a freak out like. Uh, you know, the, the planet's being destroyed, like, everything around them is being shot by the fleet as it does one of its flyovers before, you know, the city is immediately repaired the next episode. Uh, but I'm, like, she sees this guy, immediately just starts, like, flipping out, like, you know, she goes, she goes hard. And this is the first time, I believe, in the entire series that we have seen I'm go this way. Joe and Guy, who are with her, can't really, you know, understand what's going on. But the guy, later on, it's a it's supposedly a reveal, but he has a very obvious eye thing on his chest that opens up and does, like, different kinds of attacks. Like, he can fire energy blasts, he paralyzes them in place. They, they're they pretty much helpless in front of it. Yeah, and he, he lets them go. Like, you know, I'm attacks him a couple times. Like, she initiates the fight, just tries to jump him, but he is just casually batting them aside. And his, uh, his magic eye is just acting as a trump card and is able to negate every single attack that they throw at him. What why he leaves is he basically says, you know, I'm not going to bother looking for all six of you. I'm going to come back down and you'll all be here and I'll kill you then. You know, it's evening time. I'm going to get a nice drink. So they go back to the ship and everyone is bummed. But like, I'm just kind of pacing in the background, like fucking furious. Yeah. Like she goes up to the drama's crow's nest and has a flashback and we see her world being burned. Yeah, this is this is a real grim flashback, Harry. Like, I know we've had some real grim Luca flashbacks. This is probably grimmer. Yeah, well, Luca's, Luca's flashbacks are like, her whole life was kind of like just uh, a fluctuating grade of terrible. But for I'm, everything went bad in a second, because she's from the planet of Emil, she's part of the royal family, and they refused to be annexed. So the Emperor's left-hand man showed up and killed everything on it. The left-hand man being this week's action commander, the golden giant mosquito beetle, with an eye at his chest. He's floating in the air, saying, like, you insects, like, refused annexation. There's nowhere to run to. I'm going to kill you all. And I'm's father and mother just turn to her and say, like, you got to get out of here. You got to survive. A butler has to drag her away as they're engulfed by flames in front of her. Yeah, her entire family wiped out before her very eyes, (laughs) along with her planet. It was a bad, bad day. But, hey, gold star to that butler for getting her off this fucking planet. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, and the writers very conveniently skip past that part, but, hey, good on you, butler. Yeah, I don't think he comes back or anything. Yeah, considering that he's not there in the future, I'm going to assume that he somehow sacrificed himself and transformed into a spaceship or, like, an escape pod for her. Oh, that'd be, pre- that'd be pretty cool. As she remembers that, she walks back down into the main cabin, and looks around, like she looks at the couch where she remembers snuggling up with Luca in a way that spawned lots of shipping. She has flashbacks for everyone. Like, it's it's a dark ship. She's clearly there, you know, saying goodbye because she needs to go and fight this guy alone because she somehow missed the previous few episodes where it was like, no, we're a team. We must fight them together. Well, uh, it is funny because, like, this has happened a few times over the show and each time the crew has been less and less okay with it. And this time, like, uh, I'm. She has one last flashback of Joe and Mar- of Joe and Marvelous off on a couch, yelling like, "Hey, you want to go now? All right, let's go!" And the camera cuts away before things get very explicit. 
Uh, and so she says, like, all right, uh, thank you, everything, crew. And then Marvelous steps out from behind the pillar and says, like, where where do you think you're going? And then Joe, then Luca, then, yeah, the, the entire crew is there. Like, every single person knew something was happening. They knew she was going to pull this shit. And they're like, no, we've done this plot five times before. Stop it. No. And I'm breaks a little. She says, Zachary, Zatsarig destroyed my world, and I have sworn my vendetta against him. Marvel says, like, you, you know you can't take it by yourself. Go now, and you're dead. Just think back, like, do you remember what you told me when we first met? And we, we and flash back we to have, that. Yeah, we have another flashback of uh, I'm uh, somehow coming across the uh, the Gokaijers as they're fighting some uh, Gorman, just random planet, like the same random rock planets that's, you know, every single alien world in this show. It, it's that quarry in Japan. I'm sure, I'm sure you could visit it as a holy site for big nerds. And after the fight, she approaches them and she says, hey... You're the pirates. I want to be a pirate. And yeah. she says that, you know, her planet was destroyed, but a lot of people got off of the planet. So there's a lot of refugees in the world. And when they see her on a wanted poster, they'll know that she's fighting back against the Zengiak. It really impresses the crew. Like they they were dismissive when she first asked. But looking at that, I think it's good enough for Marvelous to say, yeah, OK, you can join. Mm-hmm. And Back in current times, Marvel says, for the people you're fighting for, stop talking about dying on your own. There's a lot of people looking at you for strength across the stars. That that really hit home. That's like, right here, Marvelous. Right here. I'm just crying, says, All right, everyone, please lend me your aid so I may defeat Zatsurig. Mm-hmm. And everyone just agrees, you know. They don't care whose guard he is. Uh, they're going to do it. And the rest of the episode is a giant brawl against this guy. Uh, it, there's like, this is like the midpoint, like they accomplished all this in about 10 minutes. So we get 12 minutes of them just like getting beat up and then kicking the monster's ass. The guy is impressed that they all show up and the fight, it goes bad initially because he still got that eye thing. They get slammed into a building so hard the building is destroyed. Uh, but I was intentionally told to hold back and like wait for an opening. And as the crew is like tanking the shots, they, there's another set of flashbacks. This is like kind of like a... It's a recap episode for stuff that didn't actually happen in the show, so it's kind of fun. Because mm-hmm. yeah, they say, like, hey, you know, uh, she was pretty useless when she first showed up. Uh, like, she tried to shoot a gun, and the rear coil kicked her in her ear. They put a sword in her hands, and the weight swung her around. She couldn't really do chores, and she didn't really know how to interact with, you know, normal people. But she was just really nice and diplomatic, and, like, she... she like the crew stopped fighting and actually bonded a lot more once she was there. Yes, and it's it's nice, it's touching. This is a really great I'm episode. And at the uh at the about the halfway point of the fight, she, you know, gives a little bit of instruction to the guys, draws attention away, and then she sneaks in and does an eye stab to the center of the chest and then a point blank shot, just like gat 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 right up on the sky and shoots his eye off. So he just can't do the eye attacks. And then she just, she starts cycling through the different forms. Like, I think her maybe arc here is growth because there's the thing showing like she was really bad at the start, but then she worked so hard. And now she's like, uh, also, I mean, she was able to do the whole big flip, the, the stab and the shoot. And also because she's one of the few people who listens to guy talking about the Rangers, she actually knows how to use their powers well. So she does a series of, like, super thematic power couples which e- with each of the characters. Like, she does 
the actual go on wings, like not guy mashing them together, but the silver and the gold from a Goanger. She does yellow and blue from Gosager with Luca. Uh, she does uh, Deca Master and Deca Swan, which are like a power couple on that show. Uh, Shinkenger, like Shinken Red and Shinken Hime Red, which Sam doesn't understand, but they they just end up smashing the dude with huge giant swords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a long string of this dude just getting kicked in the face and shot and destroyed. Like, they're taking out some aggression on this guy. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but man, they go hard on him. Yep. She finally finishes it with the bazooka that has a bayonet on the front and says, like, father, mother, let this bring you peace, and kills the shit out of him. Yes. There's an entirely perfunctory Megazord fight following this, uh, but then at the very end of the episode, we see that, uh, uh, Damaris is just kind of stewing in a jail cell. Uh, the, you know, the Chekhov's rifle has been placed. This character is going to be in the middle of things next episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, cut to Kokadra episode 42, the strongest man in the universe. As the episode begins, we are in the middle of a fight against uh, the Gorman, uh, and, uh, uh, and a guy is up in his Megazord. They're actually doing, like, one of those... Uh, combo fights where guys are on the ground and a Megazord is up top so that the Megazord fight is actually interesting and dynamic and not a drag on the episode. Yep, it's it's very good. And, like, they're getting assaulted by more waves than usual, and at this point some cracks are starting to show in Doc's fighting style. Like, he he's the silly comedic guy, and he's still flopping between people and he gets stuck in a box and fighting. It's like, saying, this is kind of serious, can't the Zagiac just stop? This is annoying. He's being uh, extra extra. And Lucas says, like, hey, we could use a little less Eddie and a little more heroism. Uh, so, and we do see at the end that uh, they've been fighting, like, some of the Emperor's, like, uh, red lieutenants. So, definitely the Emperor is uh, not pulling any punches and sending, you know, monsters after the dudes now. I'm not sure if there's any more basic action commanders. We're kind of towards the end of the series area. I'd be surprised if there were. Like, are, we might be past throwaway episodes. I think there may be, like, two action commanders left, but there's a different one going on this time. But anyway, uh, they they do a, they transform to five-man, they do a thing where they pass around a football and they kick it. Sentai is weird. Yeah, I have, I have no idea what the hell was going on there, but afterwards, uh, we jump up to the uh, Zangiak ships, and uh, the Emperor and his uh, close associates are finally starting to realize that, hey... Maybe the reason that the Rangers killed the prince is that the Rangers are actually a legitimate threat. Yep. In Insar turns to them and says, like, it's as you see. Our invasion should have been a cakewalk, and yet we've met with a little bit misery. Uh Dirando is says, Alright, I'll I'll do it, but Insar like pleads, like, hey, Damaris is very upset, possibly the most upset at your son's death. Please give him this chance. So they walk to Damaris's cell, they say, Hey, it's time to activate you and go after the Rangers. At which point, Damaris blows up the cell. He rips his chains apart and just strides out a show of power, saying, like, don't forget who you're talking to. I'm here because I wanted to be, and I'm leaving because it's time to redeem myself. So they go through the wanted posters for the various rangers, uh, assessing their strengths and weaknesses, and they again uh, say that Doc should not matter. Yeah. Uh, everybody else gets cool titles, but Doc is just a silly guy. Speaking of Doc. Yeah. Uh, so I'm is reading a magazine and is finding like an interesting article there. Yeah, it turns out that Doc and 
So I should point out right now, uh, this is the first of a two-parter episode. I'm assuming a two-parter. So I don't know how this particular plot thread resolves. I'm assuming that Doc is just pulling an elaborate prank here. Uh, but according to the magazine, Doc is actually Space Hercules. Yeah, so there's a secret legend that nobody had heard of before of this amazing hero, Don Don Goyer, who fought a dragon. <laughs> he he fought a dragon and threw it into the sun and exploded the moon and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he disappeared mysteriously. And Doc is like, yeah, you know, I I know I said I was just a refugee, but I actually have mystery amnesia and I have a weird birthmark and maybe this hero is me? Yeah, yeah, it would be, I'd be a little annoyed at the show if they pulled out, like, an end game, like, hey, turns out this character is actually, you know, a space god type of thing. I mean, Just Marvel's, out of nowhere, out of fucking nowhere. Marvelous and Joe are off to side and already don't care because I think they figure it out, and they, they get a bit more evidence when Doc says, you know, I think maybe in my past life I really liked nice food, maybe you all need to treat me to a nice dinner and uh, instead of me cooking this time. And maybe they'll return my memories. (laughs) Yeah. So they go down. uh, Well, uh, the scene cuts and we see Basco walking around just some uh, random stadium, uh, presumably stalking another former ranger to steal a power from them. Uh, But they're jumped by Damaris. (laughs) Yeah. He just turns and says, like, old man Damaris. And I'll mention this now. Uh, the first time I watched the show, I got the impression that Basco was actually Damaris's son. And yeah. I don't think there's anything to really disprove that, because Basco is a weird space monster, and they have kind of similar powers and stuff like that. Like, I don't think it'd be a crazy idea. That's some good headcanon right there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Damaris just pulls out a sword and fires an energy blast at Basco, saying, like, you worm. <laughs> like, mm. you are this strong, you have this power. And you couldn't beat those pirates. You you could have eliminated them in a second back when you had them on the ground, and you let them go. Yeah, Basco's trying to be uh, squirmy and get away from this, and Sally's, like, uh, jumping Damaris from behind. But it's very clear that Damaris has such a ridiculous upper hand in this situation. Yep, he knocks away Sally, puts a sword to Basco's throat, and says, uh, It's time those pirates are going to be brought to an end. And Basco asks what happens if he refuses, Damaris says, You'll simply die. Personally, I could care less. So, yeah, now we jump to the dinner uh, where uh, Doc uh, and Luca... Let's see. What the hell is happening? I got some weird notes here. Uh, They're eating like a a steak dinner, I think. Yeah, they're having steak and wine and the, the generic good stuff that you get on a TV budget. It's like actually quite cheap food, but they put it in some expensive looking ramekins. And they flash back to how Doc was recruited. So which is, we, which is most fine dining anyway, right? Yeah, pretty much. I work in food service. Can confirm uh, the fancy of the restaurant. Like, you don't get cheaper or you don't get more expensive food. You get more expensive cutlery. Uh, Doc is still trying to remember his past stuff. I'm not spoiling it all that uh, he definitely just made it up. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the flashback that they see of uh, the... A recruiting of Doc. He was just like a random fix-it guy on a planet that uh, Luca tried to kind of pseudo-seduce into fixing the ship for them. Well, she was just going up to him in a very nice dress, like pretty un-Luca, but saying like, hey, I just really need my ship fixed in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And Doc agreed, but then turned and looked and saw the wanted poster of this same lady who's standing right in front of him. 
and flipped out and fell down and flashed his flashed his ass. Uh, there is a really nice uh, a body humor right here of just uh, Lucas slowly realizing, like, oh no, Doc has a sod, and she's going from uh, sweet charming to to being Luca again. Yeah, uh, Luca Luca had seen plenty of people being spooked by the space pirates, but that took the uh, but that took the cake. And back on the ship later, uh, Doc is trying to sneak aboard to do the repairs quickly uh, because. Uh, apparently, Doc has a personal code, and whenever he agrees to take a job, he has to see it through, even though he was horrif- horrified of them. So he was trying to sneak aboard the pirate ship to repair it. I don't know, I, I think he was just trying to get paid. And, well, aboard the ship, he notices that these guys are filthy, filthy pirates, and so he immediately sets about doing a lot of chores. And, by the way, Harry, did I ever tell you that one of the chief ways that I courted Sarah was by going over to her apartment and, like, doing dishes and clothes for her? Ah, love. It is a great way to start a relationship, just so you know, hey, I'm reliable, also, you're awful at doing dishes, and I need to do them correctly. <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Doc, he, like, sorts their garbage, he says, like, hey, you gotta get the quarters when you're dusting, he gets them some balanced meals, and then finally realizes to fix the computer, they basically need to press one button, so I think maybe he was just, like, turn it off and on again. Yeah, that's the impression I got. Uh, so back on the planet, uh, they're leaving the fine dining, and they're jumped. By Damaris. He's there to fuck up everything. Yep. He swings his sword and destroys a building. It. Yeah, first swing. First swing, he destroys a skyscraper. Yeah, and Marvelous and Joe shows up, and Joe knows who this is. That's Damaris. I'm, I'm not sure... Had he not seen him before in a fight? I feel like there's been a couple where Damaris might have been at. I think during those fights, uh, Joe was actually off uh, fighting a Bizorg. Ba- a oh, that, that might actually make sense. But no, he says, oh, uh, he's the strongest man in the universe. He's a Sangak general. Uh, he's on a different level from anyone else who fought him until now. That's something they're saying a lot, but it's still true every time. Yeah, I mean, the previous, like, heaviest person that they fought was Basco, and it turns out that Damaris was just clowning Basco a few minutes ago. On the subject of Basco, Basco shows up and cuts off their escape. Yeah, so it's just them getting pincer attacked. Uh, They try to crowd Damaris, but he just slashes his sword around in a circle. Basco is like saying, ugh, Damaris is serious this time, Marv might actually be done for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he does a couple special moves and apparently vaporizes Joe, Guy, I'm, and Luca. Yeah, I'm going to assume that he teleported them because we're a few episodes away from the finale. It doesn't make sense to murder two thirds of the team. I mean, I would love for there to be a show that actually did that, but but this probably isn't it. Yeah, probably not. Uh, But uh, Damaris and Basco collect Marvelous, uh, teleport him up to the Zangiac ship, and leave Doc behind because no one gives a shit about Doc. Yeah, there's even a point where Doc is just standing there and saying like, hey, stay back, I won't hold back. And Damaris literally doesn't break stride and knocks him out of the way. Like, I'm going to, and tells Marvelous that he's going to pay him back a thousandfold for every second of humiliation he suffered. Yeah, and that's how the episode ends. Uh, Doc all alone. Uh, Doc believes that Marvelous has been kidnapped and the rest of the team murdered. Uh, Even though we all know that that's not true, at least that second part. Not entirely sure what Basco's play is here. Uh, Is he, like, still trying to get the ultimate power of the galaxy from these guys? I don't know. It's a little unclear. 
Basco is on nobody's side but Basco's. However that works at the moment. Fair enough. Uh, I quite enjoyed these episodes, Harry. It's like two very good character pieces for Doc and uh, I'm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, in that case, let us move on to Gaim as we continue our week of cliffhangers. At least for Guy, I'm like, I think every episode is a cliffhanger, right? A little bit. Um, It's definitely a lot of, it's a lot of flowing story. But this time, it is Gaim, episode 9, Operation Catch That Invis. Yeah, we begin uh, with a sanitation worker or some kind of, you know, uh, general city repair person below in the, uh, the Toku uh, water tunnels. And he finds some mysterious fruit growing. Uh, he picks one, and he says that it looks delicious, and he must eat it. Yeah, and we, we don't see more of that. We just cut... Yeah. Uh, instead, we cut to the Gaim uh, team house, where Michi has been looking at news reports and realizing, yeah, what I was worried about has happened. Uh, there's an invest somewhere. It looks like it's from the forest because it's way stronger, and it's it's causing all these problems. It's, like, attacking people. There's big cracks in the scenery. Like, not, not the cracks they've normally been seeing, but, like, actual ones. Uh, someone on the team mentions that maybe they should go to the police with this information. At which point I started screaming at my television, Harry. There's police in this town? Uh, maybe. I mean... Have we literally ever seen a police officer on this show? I mean, maybe you have. Ever. At once. We, there's more coming on that, but, like, the explanation they use right now is that... The cops won't believe them unless they see an actual open rip. Like, they're talking about monsters and dimensional holes. Like, even though kids have lock seeds, that's still hard to believe for some reason. Like, mm. as far as they know, only these beat writers in the room know about the the rips, the monsters, all that stuff. And but, they... but it's not like, it's like you said, everyone knows about the invest. There's video evidence of the invest. They don't have to say there's monsters attacking. Harry, what they have to say is that there's some malfunctioning Invis lock seeds going on throughout the city. That is all that that is the only way they need to phrase it and they're telling 95% of the truth. Well, here's the thing. So like there's the team dynamic going on and like Kota, he's kind of dumb. I mean, he he's like smart enough for his thing, but he's like the average guy. The smart guy on the team is Michi, and Michi, he definitely wants to help, but also he's super interested in like finding out more about the stuff going on. So I think he kind of wants to do things how on his own. Like, remember, his whole thing is he's crushed by society, so he's trying to find his own way to be himself. So he doesn't want to just turn to the authorities. He hates the authorities. Mm-hmm. Well, he also, I kind of get the feeling that he is looking out for his family as well. Uh, we'll see a little bit later that Michi is uh, suspecting uh, his family's involved in this. He doesn't have hard information yet. He's going to start collecting it. But I kind of get the feeling that Michi wants to keep this as low-key as possible. Like, whenever someone suggests going big in public with it, Michi is the one to shoot it down. Well, also Michi is going with the problem of, like, his fam- his family, which, as far as we can tell, is just his brother. Uh, like, I'll, I'll mention this now. He does have, like, a father that's working for Yagdrasil, uh, but 
they only really show him in kind of like a special video thing. So Gaim, Gaim as a whole is weird. I'll, I'll just break this out here. Gaim as a whole is weird in like the videos and movies that they put out around the series. Uh, possibly because the writer uh, didn't want to cooperate super hard. So they kind of worked around him a little. Uh, th- there's a movie we skip between episodes 9 and 10 because almost nothing happens. Like with all the guy movies, it's pretty much just an alternate dimension timeline happened and the guys fall into it, fight some monsters and then fall back. Cause like, it's just his story that happens and he didn't want to involve. I the, see. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's an episode or there's like a kind of special thing, which is about uh, Zangetsu as he's working with the Octostil corporation. It's basically just talking about his father who does get murdered in that for uh, turns out that he was involved in some weird experiments. And no I'm, shit. Yeah, like, I'm not gonna show you the full video, largely because it annoyingly spoils a very major plot point towards the end of the series for no real payoff or reason. Hmm. Okay. But uh, as, as far as we can tell, Takatora is his only family. And, like, mom, mom doesn't exist, dad is evil and then dead. So it's just Takatora. And Takatora doesn't know that he's a beat writer. Even though Takatora was explicitly told that Michi was a beat writer by Sid. Yeah, he was handed a piece of paper that basically had written on it, your your little brother Michi is involved with some weird stuff. And Takatora said, I don't need this. This piece of paper <laughs> is boring. I have everything I need. Yeah. So the Gaim team, like, led by Michi, and Michi is very smart. Michi points out that if they can't go to the police or the authorities, uh, they do happen to know a few people with some superpower belts going around, so... They should just collect the other beat rider, uh, the other beat riders, and they should start fighting these monsters. Smash cut to Baron refusing to help. Yeah, Baron's a very hard no on this. Yeah, like the only foe Baron cares about right now is you at the top of the rankings. Like when, when BG yells, like you don't care about innocent civilians. Baron says, "Nope, you know, mm-hmm. you have no opponents right now, so you need something to keep you busy." But uh, you're on top. I'm your competitor. I'm not going to help you. Ask and Vito and Raidwild. They're not going to help you. This is the curse of victory. It's hard being at the top. It's hard being in charge, Harry. Hard being a leader. Yeah. So, Sam, I'll just give you this chance now. Like, who, you you chafed a bit when I was comparing you to Junichi earlier. Would you say you're more of a Michi or more of a Baron? Or maybe like a Mary Miyakota. Or am I? Take your pick, Sam. Who do you, who do you associate with right now? <sighs> okay, so of those people that you mentioned, whose names that I remember, which is an exceedingly short list, um, I mean, you, you pick whatever. You, you, you can be Jodashi if you want to. You can be Hase. Uh, yes, yes, I remember who those characters are. I can associate a name with a character. Acorn, uh, like you could Acorn, Dark Lord, uh, Bravo, Baron, Gaim, Michi. You could be Pico. I'm sure someone wants to be Pico. Let's say Michi, you know, an awkward high schooler with uh, zero luck with the girls, um, you know, clever at strategy, but bad at people. All right. Sam is Michi. Good. Keep that in mind. So uh, the next scene we go into is Bendo. The, he's the guy who runs Droopers, the fruit bar that Sam finds hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, buying local. He's getting some shipments of fruit and he's taking them off to a store. When he gets attacked by the flying bat invest. Yep. 
And it's a, yeah, that's very much a plot point. Uh, turns out, hey, these things are attracted to fruit. I wonder why. Oh, right. We've seen them eating fruit every time we've seen them. Yeah, but they're kind of specific because he's screaming. Uh, Kota and Michi are nearby, so they show up to help. And uh, as, as they help him up, the Inves is attacking the fruit and looking at it. But then he cr- but then it crushes it in frustration and just starts raging at them. I know that was a Fuji apple, Harry. That looked really good. It did look good. I just disrespected it, crushed it in his hands. So there's a fight that happens. Uh, Kota, he he starts doing cool tricks with the orange thing he summons in this fight. Like when he summons it from the air, it blocks some attacks that it, it does. Mm-hmm. He also shoots uh, like when he's uh, changing helmets. He shoots his uh, former helmet at the monster to kind of stun lock it for a second, which is a very creative way to show that the people know how to keep monsters busy as they're transforming between forms. They just barely managed to save him. Like it's it's a tough fight though. Like Kota is on the he's on the back foot. He tries to use his strawberry thing for a bit of range because he's forgotten for a second that in his orange form he also has a gun sword. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's just kind of like a measly little pistol. Yeah. Uh, whereas Strawberry is explosive daggers, but he can't really get a hit in. So uh, after this fight, after the monster gets away, uh, Michi goes back to his uh, mansion and kind of pseudo grills his brother a little bit. Like they have a very poor brotherly communication moment going on here. Hmm. Yep. Uh, he 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 uh, says like, uh, well, uh, Takatara says to him, hey, uh, lock the gates when you enter. Uh, someone came in and stole some stuff recently. And uh, I'm sure it was one of those damn beat riders. Street rats, they contribute nothing to society. Isn't that right, Michi? You're not a beat writer. You're not a thief. I know this is fact, despite the fact that I was told otherwise. I know this. I'm aware of this, Michi. Yeah, and Michi says, Ah, oh, well, I don't know about that. And Takatura says, like, Hey, you're you're about their age. What do you what do you think they're thinking about? And Michi sends out an olive branch here. He says, Well, I think they're gonna to have to live a very different life soon, according to someone else's rules. They're enjoying themselves and, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do. And he smiles and turns to Takatora. And Takatora has a real chance here. <laughs> oh, asshole brother. Takatora turns to him and says, like, you have no doubts about your future. You're a Kurashima. You're aware of your value and place in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, that's what sets you apart from that garbage. Your world's apart from that filth. Maybe she smiles and nods and turns and decides, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, I should point out, like, this episode, they're doing an adorable thing where they're actually trying to give the other uh, Gaim team members, uh, like, personalities and backstories and dialogue. And it's it's a little late show. Like, these people have been here. They've said maybe two words each. That That's all they're good for. Their background scenery. I feel like they try that a little bit, like, every ten episodes or so. So we get another ten episodes after this of the other Gaim members just not saying a single goddamn thing. Yeah, and then they're important a little bit around episode 30, but not super, uh, and I'm sure they show up towards the end. Great. Yeah, so uh, they've realized that uh, it's time to uh, set a trap for the monster. Uh, The monster was after fruit. Michi, of course, uh, figures this part out. Uh, They're talking with the the juice bar guy about this. And so they decide to go and uh, collect some fruit. Uh, uh, They're following. I missed how they figured out where to find the fruit. Well, I mean, they just, they go to Helheim because it wasn't interested in a earth fruit. So Michi is like, hey, maybe, oh, right. 
maybe like he has a specific diet you know he's from a different world so he can't eat our stuff so he's just he's starving and freaking out on people so uh michi decides hey let's go there and he also figures out like so the belts turn them to lock seeds when we pick them but if we just take off the belt then they'll just be regular fruit and that'll draw in the monster better now, is this something, like, I didn't want to go back to episodes one and two. Is this something that they've been consistent on since the very beginning? Yeah, if you pick a fruit while you're wearing the belt, it turns into a lock seed. But if not, then it's just a fruit. Good to know. So yeah, they bring some back. Uh, they set up a trap. Uh, the monster shows up. Uh, there's a very quick fight. Uh, the monster gets away again. Uh, but uh, Michi, you're, 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 skipping past, you're skipping past the little good stuff. Yeah, there's some comedy with the other guy team members hiding in garbage cans. Yeah, and like they they're hiding in a string, and there's like it's there's a series of just little things where like an old lady is walking by and gets like ambushed by Kota. Some kids show up and just hit it with sticks. Uh, like they're just more people talking about how delicious the fruit looks, and uh, like a bunch of birds attack it. But yeah, then the bad thing does show up. It does some sonic attacks, and uh, during the fight, Michi basically sticks his cell phone to its leg and says like, "Now we can track it." There's a point uh, during this uh, uh during the setup or afterwards where. Uh, Mai turns to the group and she says, oh, I can't believe we've been playing games with these creatures. At, you know, at which point, again, I yelled at the television screen, no shit. Yeah. Uh, and someone also says, hey, uh, it's weird about the belts. Like, these things are dangerous. Who's who's making them? <laughs> and they're just asking these questions now. Someone else, someone else fucking asks, what is an invest anyway? Harry... We're ten episodes into this series. This has been going on for a while. Why are they asking this now? Eh. I mean, they were asking this a little bit earlier, but it's just, they're getting more frustrated at not having answers. Also, you know, the deaths. The multiple deaths that these creatures are causing. Yep. Speaking of deaths, uh, they follow it to where the bat invest was seemingly nesting. And in an area, there's just Helheim plants growing all the walls here. Mm -hmm. uh, they find the helmets of the water person who I'm, I'm just going to assume that the water person ate the fruit and turned into the bats like we get that confirmed soon right I mean that could be a plot point or not that's going to be a plot point right but uh, the area is like it's becoming overgrown with plants and the bat shows up and they do fight it mm -hmm. uh, Michi really needs to learn how to aim especially if he's going to be a uh, range support yeah it's also kind of funny because as they're transforming, we get a reminder of how much more elaborate Kota's transformation dance thing is than Michi's. Like, Michi's, Michi basically just holds it out in front and then puts it in, whereas Kota has a whole thing where he spins it around and then holds it up and then slams it down. Like, it, if you're in one of these shows, Sam, try to have a very long, elaborate transformation thing so you know you're a main character. Oh, but Michi's a backup dancer. Kota was the lead. It, it, to it tracks, Harry. It totally tracks. They kill the bat in Vess. It takes some doing, but they do. It also takes a red exploding barrel, which I was very happy to see. Yeah. Uh, and they they look around and see, like, okay, this area is becoming overgrown, kind of like the forest. And over be behind some pipes, there are just some more minor invests just wandering around eating the fruit. And then some dudes in uh, hazmat suits and fla holding flamethrowers show up and start burning everything. Yeah. Uh... The, the Melon Knight shows up, he kills the Minor Invest, and then, like, yeah, they start burning the whole area. And Michi is like, oh, they are, they're burning the evidence. They're not, this, this is routine. They know exactly what's happening here. 
Coda's having like a PTSD flashback, like as soon as he sees the Melon Knight. Yeah, like uh, he's freaking out because like someone's getting attacked and they're still covering it up. And then Michi realizes that the lock seed on the Melon Knight's belt is the same as the one he saw in his brother's suitcase. So he's starting to figure things out. Yeah, he is very far along. Again, Harry, I, I just got to I said this before. Have you seen Stranger Things season one? Because this is 100% Stranger Things season one. Uh, maybe. Like, even the dudes with flamethrowers, like, using them to, like, close up the dimensional portals and and hold back, like, the growth uh, from the other side. I mean, we can look at the dates, but I do think this does precede Stranger Things. I know that Stranger Things, it, it's like an homage show. Like, people just uh, pulling stuff from uh, other shows and just slapping it together. So, it, none of this is new. None of this is, like, original. That said... Holy fucking shit, this is Stranger Things. It gets even worse next episode, when we finally see, like, the, the Egdrasil underground base, where they have, like, a constantly open portal. Like, that science, that that room, that lab, looks like the Stranger Things evil lab. <laughs> Maybe they used a similar set. Yeah. But uh, as this episode closes, we get, uh, we get Takatora talking to some people back at home base. Like, he's talking to, uh... Sengoku Ryoma, the scientist, and saying, like, all right, uh, the cracks are forming faster than we expected, and our staff is stretched to the limit. And, yeah, Ryoma is happy about this, saying, like, Helheim is awakening. This is this is very interesting. And Takatora's like, no, we need the new model of belt, uh, and I'm going to be the test subject. The scientist says it's dangerous. Are you sure that you want to do this to yourself? Yeah, you might want a different guinea pig. But Takatora says, like, no, I'm committed to this project. I'll see it through. Yagdrasil holds the future of the world in its hands. I will secure a future for humanity. Dun dun dun. Next episode. Episode 10. Yeah. We see a Terran reality near a shopping center. Yep. Uh, the, the writers gather, solve the forest's mysteries. <laughs> is that is that the name of the episode? Yeah. I don't think they solved the forest's mysteries this episode, Harry. Also, this is episode 10. Yeah, they, they don't solve it even next episode. It takes a while. Yeah, I'm assuming it takes 40 more episodes. Uh, I mean, I think... Or maybe like uh, it, 45. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, there's a shopping district. Uh, there's a crack just kind of out in the open, even though people don't notice it. Mm-hmm. We see the main character dressed as a mall Santa and uh, being very bad at it. Then he hears a scream. I think it was pretty personable. He was passing up brochures and people were taking him. But yeah, uh, he has to run off to help somebody in a parking garage because some investors shown up just out in the open in a crowded space. Then as he as he breakdowns fights and kills them, he realizes, all right, th- this is getting worse. By the way, he breakdance fights them as Santa. So we get a lot of scenes of Santa doing karate and just uh, taking on some monsters. Merry Christmas. Like on on Twitter, a guy asked about uh, which which uh, episodes of Common Rider would be good for like a Christmas special. I was like, well, the thing is, because of the pacing, like usually Christmas shows up at a weird point in the shows where it's just getting serious. So it it'd be hard to just kind of pick it out and watch it. I ended up recommending one from the original series, uh, which was uh, like Monster Werewolves Murder Party or something. <laughs> Common Rider seventy one is still fun. Uh, so, uh, back to the Gaim base. We see the main character, Michi, and they're scheming about uh, ambushing the Melon Rider uh, with the other riders. Yep. 
Like, they need to talk with those suited people in the forest to get all the info, because they obviously know. And, uh, yeah, Michi can't draw him out alone. It's too dangerous. So instead, he's going to get the other armored riders in on it, because he has a plan. Makes sense. I mean, like, each of them is a superhero, so the Melon Knight can probably take out any individual one of them. Except for maybe, you know, they do have the cake guy. There is the cake guy. There's a decent chance cake guy could stand up to Melon Knight. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how a bit of that uh, matchup goes next episode. But they, they are, like, I think the thing here is that uh, he, so the cake guy, Oren, he is a super good fighter. But the other guy is also a super good fighter, and he knows how the belt shit works. Like, Oren, remember he was throwing around the lock seeds because he didn't know you have to control them? Like, he's a traditional soldier, and even and he's able to beat these guys because they don't have experience, but he doesn't know all the intricacies of the new gear. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, they come up with the scheme to create a new game, which they go to tell Baron about. So, they are all going to just go into the forest with those vehicles. And then they're going to collect a bunch of lock seeds, just wander around doing that. And whoever gets back with the most lock seeds wins. You know, but maybe they set up some kind of thing of like better lock seeds is a better point or something. But they don't get into that intricate because it really doesn't matter. Uh, all Baron has to say is like, hey, you have two riders. Isn't that an advantage? And Kota says, no, no, uh, guy is sitting out. It's just going to be Michi. And Baron is like, all right, you're making the, you're playing a game here, but it's with somebody else. And this sounds interesting. So I'm in. Also, Baron points out that, you know, Team Gaim is at the top. They can only go down. So they're kind of putting themselves at a risk in this game. And he's not going to let that go by. It's like Sun Tzu says, when your opponent is about to make a mistake, don't interrupt them. Cut back to the shopping center, where some other people are also in costumes, like trying to do some advertising. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's the other writers. Yeah, Jonichi and Hase uh, dressed up as reindeer, and they're very silly looking, getting made fun of by children. Harry, what percentage of the economy of this town is just people dressed up as various, like, you know, Christmas characters at the mall? Because as it stands right now, that's most of the economic development that we've seen in this town. I mean, it's like those dudes throwing around signs on street corners, you know, it's just like a super simple entry level job that anybody can get. Uh, well, you say anybody, Harry. Like, 100% of the costumed uh, mall workers we've seen so far are superheroes. I mean, maybe that's the whole thing of, like, uh, how do these guys make money? A lot of the time they don't. And <laughs> they, they've been losing in the Infest game, so maybe they're not getting those weird dividends that Kota was getting for all of one episode before his sister guilt-tripped guilt him enough that he had to give it up. Yeah, is that still happening? Like, it's been a few episodes since we've seen Dancing Harry. Is the game technically still going? It It, it is. All right, all right. Uh, but yeah, they they call the guys, they get them together, and all the various superheroes, uh, except for Cake Guy, uh, go to go uh, confront Sid and uh, get him on board uh, with the new game. Yep. Michi explains that we're holding this event and we need some lock vehicles. And when Sid tries to be a little evasive about the lock vehicles, they say, like, no, they can send us into that force, you know. And we'll go and we'll get a bunch of lock seeds. And the payment, you know, in exchange for lock vehicles, is all of the lock seeds we find. It's not a bad business model. Yeah, Sid is agreeable. He's like, all right, I mean, how do I know they'll be worth what I give you? And Michi says, you'll just have to trust me. Michi is being a pretty good negotiator here. Yep. 
So he's like, okay, yeah, it'll take a bit to get it to you, but uh, yeah, let's do it around Christmas. It'll be like a Christmas event. Mm-hmm. A nice Christmas special, you might say. So when they go back to the to the warehouse, uh, Mai is kind of pissed because she hasn't been let in on a lot of this monster fighting stuff. And, you know, all she sees is that Kota and Michi are opening up a big game, giving a big chance to gain points to all of their competitors when they're already winning. And she's like, hey, we're a team. This is this should be a team decision. Yes, because Mai still seems to think that they're playing a dance cruise when they're actually playing at superhero now. Uh, and, you know, it's also pointed out they may miss the party, but Kota says, no, like, all right, we need to figure things out, and there's a chance we might get a lead on Yuya, you know, we, as last we know, he was somewhere in the forest. Michi with the dropping the emotional bits. I'm pretty sure Michi knows that, uh, that that guy's dead at this point, right? Well, maybe. Like, we, we, do you, did we see him die, Sam? I, I'm starting to suspect that we did. Well, we'll get there. Uh, so she, they promise that they'll be safe and Maya is okay with it. And <laughs> I, I love this next scene because it's, <laughs> so Takatora is kind of in charge of a group of villains, right? But I mean, they're, on paper, they're... I, th- I think he's in charge on paper, but it's clear that the other villains also have their own shit going on. Yeah. Like, uh, Ryoba is talking to Sid over, or over like a video conference thing saying like, Hey, you, are you trying to interfere with Takatora? Like. You're giving lock vehicles. If pass- if outsiders are passing in and out of Helheim, it'll compromise security. And Sid, as good as says, yeah, but fuck him. <laughs> like, I- I'm not so sure I like the way Takatora gets to call all the shots. You know, let- let's get him into trouble and get him to listen to others. Won't that be good for the project? And Ryuma says, a weaselly point, but a good one. We still don't know who the force of, Hel- Hel- of Helheim will choose, after all. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, this reminds me very much of, like, you know, Harry, you know how the Sinister Six, like, in Spider-Man, like, technically Green Goblin is in charge, but at the same time, Doc Ock always has his shit going on, Vulture always has his shit going on. So Electro it's like, just doesn't care. Yeah. So there's, like, a lot of villains, they're doing their thing, and yes, they're quote-unquote working together, they're also still individuals, Harry, they have their own thing. Yeah, like they're not good at uh, co- collective benefit. Well, they kind of are. Like they, they aren't openly going against each other. Yeah, but it is a little bit of like uh, who who is the sucker at the table? And right now, Takatora doesn't re- doesn't think someone else is the sucker, so it's him. I think they kind of tested that too and uh, confirmed that Takatora is the sucker at the table when Sid told him that Michi was a rider, and Takatora still doesn't know. Mm-hmm. All right. On, so, this, on the subject of Michi and Takatura. Yep. Uh, so Kota is apologizing to Michi because with this plan, he is the bait. And Michi is like, you know, no, it, it's fine. I'll be good. And Kota has to say, like, no, he's not like the rest of us. He knows the powers in and out. He's trained. And Michi's like, yeah, because he's probably my brother. <laughs> he doesn't say that out loud, but uh, he goes to kind of talk to his brother, saying, like, hey, Careful out there, I heard some people have been attacked by monsters in the town. They look like the invest beat riders use, but they're stronger. Do you know anything? <laughs> and, Tak- and Takatora says, no, why would I? Yagdrasil is just making this place the ideal of peace and prosperity. We aren't investigating anything. Michi is very sad because he knows that his brother is straight applying to him. And so he also doesn't tell him that uh, he was the one who stole the watermelon uh, lock seed 
and that, hey, it's got its color back. It's ready to use again. So everybody has gotten together. They're they're at like kind of just a secluded warehouse district. They got all the the beat writers and the common writers here. And then Bravo shows up because it's like, hey, why wasn't I invited? I'm part of this whole crew. Because uh, cut to a video of DJ Sagra, the guy on the airwaves, like giving all all the beat by beats of the action. Definitely blowing up their spot, talking about the secret game they're trying to set up without weird cake guy, cake guy showing up. Which uh, which Sinister Six would uh, the DJ be? Would he be Sandman? Uh, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but I don't want to get into it. Um, Wait, is he Michi's dad? No, he's not Michi's dad. He's not Michi's dad. But Are we sure? Are we sure he's not Michi's dad? There, I mean, like, DJ Sakurai, he's not, like, a big deal, but there's a bit of a reveal about him that I don't want to spoil. Venom? Uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so Bravo's there. No one wants him to be there, but it turns out that Bravo has a motorcycle with him. <laughs> yeah, he he said, like, hey, I could I could get a trinket like this. No big deal. And uh, Michi says, fine, okay, you can join in the dumb game. That doesn't matter. I kind of wonder, like, you know, with all Michi's scheming, if the whole plan was to create a distraction uh, to draw out the Melon Knight, did they not yet realize that Ryder Bravo is a walking fucking distraction? No, yeah, it, it's the best thing that could happen to the plan. It's just I, Michi kind of likes his plan. He, he gets a little frustrated when things don't go as he wants them to. But that's just a bit of a character bit. Anyway, uh, Bravo says, all right. So I don't know what this game is. Does it involve fighting that huge crowd of Invest that has just shown up behind everybody? <laughs> Invest out of nowhere. And so we see a bit of a fight. Like the riders, they all transform. Well, they kind of uh, take turns transforming. They're not working together as a team. Yeah. Like Baron says like, all right, so the game started. Uh, is fighting them part of it? And Luigi says no. And Baron immediately leaves saying, all right, your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to get a head start on collecting uh, fruits and lock seeds. Yeah. Uh, like Kurokage and uh, Ornak, or Acorn and Dark Lord, they transform, and Kurokage is trying to fight and do his own thing, but Jonochi has a strategy of throwing a lock seed near Michi and letting an invest eat it to get stronger. He is kind of an asshole. So, yeah, uh, the invest transforms into a blue kind of rider beetle. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's Blue Beetle. Like, yeah, like, I think Dragonfly or Cricket? Some some insect fighting thing. Mm-hmm. And then they get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Michi transforms into pretty much the only even slightly important thing, thing to happen in the movie we skipped, which is he got a Kiwi Lockseed. Yeah, that could have happened between episodes, Harry. Yeah, like, I mean, they have access to a forest where they can get an infinite amount of Lockseeds. It's not, it's not at all important. Like, I, I would... Baron is smart enough to go there and constantly grind for better stuff. Like, it, it would be dumb to assume that our main characters don't do it. But then again, I'm not sure if Kota's that strategic. Michi should be. Michi's, Michi's going to, like, a full-time academy and also, like, doing the dancing stuff. I feel like Michi has a lot on his plate. Fair enough, fair enough. But he should he should set aside some time for him and Kota to go in and just and just get some shit. Yeah, you got you gotta grind, man. Or maybe, you know what, maybe that was a secondary plan of this plan. Uh, he told Sid that he was going to turn over all the lock seeds. Maybe he only turns over, like, half the lock seeds or something and keeps the rest himself. Well, I mean, right now he's got a big winner because he's got the watermelon that he throws to Kota. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so Michi goes into the other world. Uh, Kota transforms into a watermelon and starts rolling around. And uh, as the episode closes, the watermelon mech is fighting all the monsters on this side. while all the rest of the riders are going into the upside down. Uh, and again, a bit of a cliffhanger. Duo cliffhanger this time. Yeah, we get a shot of the uh, Stranger Things lab, which, you know, it, Harry, I, I got to send you some YouTube links after this. It is 100% the Stranger Things lab. Yeah. So at at a base in the Yadrasil Corporation, uh, Takatora just walks into a lab full of scientists, transforms into Kamen Rider Zangetsu. I'm not sure if his name's been revealed. It's not a big deal. It's not like someone's talking about Zangetsu and they're not sure who it is. Fair enough. Yeah. So those are the episodes this week. So how how you feeling with these uh with with these going forward? Uh I would say that this is probably the first week of Gaim where I really like just followed, understood what was going on, where the universe was actually clicking with me. Like it took it took a half dozen setup episodes for me to feel somewhat comfortable with this show, but I think I'm finally there. Yeah, that's good. Especially because now that you're into the swing of it, we are very soon going to pause our coverage of it for reasons, no. we're, <laughs> for reasons we're explaining right now. Uh, so at the end of last episode, uh, if you I'm, you may have skipped it because I might have recommended some people to because it's just a lot of me and Sam squabbling about whether or not Gridman's good because it is. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of it, we had we had an open discussion about the new Kamen Rider show happening, Kamen Rider Zero One, and we're we're interested in covering it because we've gone back we've watched lots of stuff that have kind of concrete opinions about it but the opportunity to watch a new ongoing series along with everybody else is a very good one and sam wanted to do it so we looked at our schedule and uh, made some decisions yeah it, it's pretty straightforward uh we're gonna uh harry stop me if i'm wrong we're gonna watch like the most current episode of the common writer every week or if we take a skip week then we'll watch two episodes of it uh and as we're doing that we will finish off uh Go Kaiger in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so the very next episode of Gaim is a very good stopping point. So we are going to watch that. Like next week will be two Go Kaiger, one Gaim, and then one of zero one. Yay! And then after that, we'll do a zero one, and then Go Kaiger until we finish it, and then zero one and Gaim as we catch back up. Because Gaim, we're watching Death Roof to the end. This isn't a Nexus thing. No, no, no. This is absolutely not a Nexus thing. Like, I I am enjoying this show. It is good. It has interesting plot and characters. It's weird as fuck. Like, I I still don't know if there's police or authority or anything like that in this town, Harry, so I'm going to continue to make fun of that plot point. But it's... Uh, yes, this show is worth watching. I am enjoying it. And I look forward to comparing and contrasting three series next week. Oh, uh, asterisk, asterisk. Uh, we say we are starting next week. If the translation takes a while, two weeks from now. Yeah, so we are putting ourselves a bit at the mercy of our lovely, you know, unpaid translators who were very grateful for the work of. It, we might be watching the Overtime version or the Genom Corp version or a couple others. Like, um, it all depends on who decides to pick it up and who uh, is timely. I mean, we work with a buffer anyways, so, I mean, in the worst case scenario, maybe this just eats a bit into that and we're, and I have, I'm a bit more on deck as far as getting these things out, but we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. And uh, the only question I have going out, Sam, is what do you know 
about Kamen Rider Zero One. Not a goddamn thing, Harry. Good. Good. All right. So, until next time. <laughs>